What's up, guys? Shane Larson here with the Game Time Guru Podcast. If you are new to the channel, this is your first time listening. Awesome. Happy to have you here with us. Uh, I, I love having new listeners here, um, and I hope you guys enjoy the show. So today we're bringing on Jason Ellis. He's a former Boise State basketball player and a former professional basketball player. And we're going to be learning about his uh, whole entire journey. Um, that's the whole point of this show is to get to know them, learn about their journey, their story, and uh, everything in between. So we're going to be talking about his high school experience, the training, his recruiting process, why he chose Boise State. Uh, we'll go over some of the memories at Boise State, what he enjoyed about it, transitions into the college level. And then we'll talk about the professional level, which is also very, very exciting. Uh, learning about the business side of sports, learning about, you know, the difference between, you know, like going from college to the, maybe like the NBA Summer League and understanding the politics that are, are, are around sports. But We'll talk about his um, time overseas, as well as in the NBA D-League at the time, which is now the G-League, when he played for the Idaho Stampede. We'll get to learn all about it, um, the ins, the outs, everything in between. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. But I need to give a special shout out. This episode is being brought to you by DeLuca Insurance Group. Discover the savings at DeLuca Insurance. Whether it's auto, home, motorcycle, or recreational vehicles, we've got your back. And when it comes to life insurance, trust a local agent who cares about your best interests. Save today and protect your tomorrow with DeLuca Insurance. Call Carol Lee at 208-813-7273. I want to give another shout out to them. Thank you to DeLuca Insurance Group for sponsoring this episode. And um, I really, I just appreciate what they do, what they're about, and for the support that they've provided me here on this platform. Again, guys, make sure to take notes. I hope you guys enjoy this. If, again, if it's your first time listening to the podcast, Get ready. It's awesome. It's going to be an inter entertaining episode where you get to learn from somebody who's competed at a high level in their sport. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode of the Game Time Guru. So what time is it? Game Time Boost. This is the Game Time Guru podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. My name is Shane Larson, host of the show. If you guys are following me on Instagram, you'll know that I've, I've talked about it a couple of times. I'm almost seven years into this show, and uh, thanks in large part to to all the people who have ever tuned in or shared some content before, even liked a video, I don't even know, but like every little piece helps out with the growth of the show. So I want to give another shout out. If this is your first time listening, uh, welcome aboard. I appreciate you guys tuning in. The show has now been downloaded at this exact moment in 180 countries in all 50 states. And I started it in my kitchen in Meridian, Idaho, almost seven years ago in January. So uh, just really thankful for everybody because it was just the village that kind of helped blow it up. And uh, that's where it's at now. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And also grateful for the guests that have joined the show. As you guys heard in the introduction, I'm bringing on uh, a basketball player who I've been following for quite some time. And I got to give a shout out to Justin Lyons for helping get the actual official connection with, with our guest today. Um, but I love chatting to these guys, chatting with these guys that I've watched as I was growing up. And it's just wild to kind of see. Um, and his name is Jason Ellis. Jason, thank you for joining the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to you know being a part of your show today. Yeah, absolutely, man, absolutely. So, Jason, here's something funny. Um, I remember I got home from a church mission in 2010, and I remember going to a local gym. It's Axiom here in Boise. Well, it's technically in Meridian. I was at the Axiom in Meridian off of Overland, and you were up there on a treadmill. Yes, yeah, so you're gonna be like, dude, you're like a stalker. That's not what it was. But I just remember, like, I'm like, dude, that's Jason Ellis. And you were ripped. I'm like, oh, shoot. He got a lot bigger. So I had just returned from home from a church mission. And I hadn't seen you play ball for probably four years or so. Um, but I'd come to learn that you were like with the Stampede and you had done some stuff. And um, right. you were already playing professionally and stuff. But I was like, dude, he's yoked. And I just remember like you were running on a treadmill with your basketball shoes and like not stopping. Like, And I was just like, holy cow, dude. And I just like, kind of admired the, the physical condition that you were in. I'm like, holy cow. And then came to find out that you know, you had been playing professionally and all that jazz. So I was like, dude, he kept himself in shape. But before that time, before professional basketball, before Boise State basketball, Jason, I want to kind of rewind the clock. I like to do this with the guests and kind of pick your brain on like your basketball history. Was it, did you start playing at a young age? Did you have any other sports that you were interested in when you were younger? 
and uh, kind of what just <clears throat> dissect that a little bit for us if you could. Right. Yeah. So growing up, um, I played all sports. I did football, basketball, did track and field. And I had two older brothers and I always just tried to, you know, be like them. So I'd always be the little brother, you know, tagging along and, uh, you know, just playing with them in basketball, football. Uh, they beat me up pretty good. You know, I'd go home crying quite a bit, but, you know, it made me tougher. And uh, my first love actually was football. I really enjoyed playing football and I was pretty good at it. But after breaking my arm like three times, I was like, man, I need to probably do something else. So I was like, it's not for me. So I actually, besides playing pickleball and stuff, I didn't play organized ball until I was in sixth grade. And wow. I, to tell you, I was pretty bad for organized basketball. I was pretty awful. But uh, I had a good group of coaches that just stuck with me. And uh, I had those coaches for three years. And uh, each year I just kept getting better and better. And uh, yeah, I developed a love for basketball. And I was like, I, I think I might be able to do some things with this. So uh, kind of took it from there. Uh, I did track. I really enjoyed running when I was little, but as I got older, I was like, man, you have to run in practice and then you have to run in meets. I was like, all right, I'm tired of running every day. So I was like, all right, I think basketball is the way to go. So. No, that's cool. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you played high school ball. It was it in Washington, in Washington. Yeah. I can't Washington. So played. And there. what level of ball was that for you guys in Washington? The classifications were a tad different than here in Idaho. Yeah. Um, so it, was, was, it was the biggest classification. It was five a, so I, I went to Kent Ridge, and we had a pretty good team. I was able to play with my uh, older brother. He was a senior. I was a sophomore and was able to play with him and pretty successful. And then uh, was on a pretty successful uh, traveling AAU team. So quite a few guys made it to the NBA from that. So that was pretty cool. So talking about that, so um, that's awesome, actually, by the way, the, the competition that you had and the, that you were a part of and stuff. But AAU, so I currently coach – um, club basketball for a, a club here locally in Idaho. It's called Idaho Premier. I've been coaching for three years and I really enjoy it. Um, I've seen the good side, the bad side of club sports though. I mean, I, I've got some mixed opinions on it. I love the developmental factor. I do see a lot of kids that get a lot out of it. Um, mm -hmm. if they get what they put into it. I mean, but I, I see the bad sides, the political sides, the business sides of uh, club right. sports as well. But I want to know from your perspective, you mentioned there were some players, some teammates that you played with uh, mm -hmm. even on the club side. What, what's your opinion? What's your overall take on club basketball, Jason? Um, I think it's good. I think like just for people that are traveling, if you're not dominating, especially like here in Idaho, then why are you traveling to play against other teams if you're not dominating everyone here? You know what I mean? And then also like, I mean, a lot of sports are specialized now where people are just focusing on soccer or just basketball. Like if you look at even people in the NBA, NFL and stuff, they played multiple sports growing up and stuff. I just think, you know, kids that are, uh, you know, specializing in one sport, they can get really good at that sport. But by the time you hit college, it's like a job. You know, it's 24-7. It's just lifting, doing that sport. That if you've been doing that your whole life, you're going to burn out. You know, there's maybe there's a select few that won't, but typically you see that. Either you burn out or overuse injuries and stuff. And it's kind of unfortunate to see because there's some kids that are really talented, but that's all they've ever known. And I just think they're, they're missing out on some, so much other stuff they could be doing. So... Totally, man. You know, when you were in, in high school, Jason, what, at what point did you realize that you could probably play basketball at the next level? Um, so probably, probably when I was in eighth grade, I was actually okay. I was pretty good. Um, back then it was only, uh, it was a uh, 10th through 12th. I could play high school. Oh, but okay. if we were able to do high school in uh, like eighth grade, I think I would have made like the varsity team. So probably, yeah, by the time I was a sophomore, I was starting, which was kind of unheard of there in a bigger classification and stuff. And I did well. And I was like, man, I can, you know, I'm pretty good. I think I can, you know, do something. I can at least get a scholarship, you know? And uh, yeah, I did well. And I was able to get on a traveling AAU team. It was Friends of Hoop. And that was sponsored by George Carl of the Supersonics back then. And uh, he had three teams and we had tryouts. And um, it was pretty eye-opening for me because from that point in eighth grade on, I was able to just dominate. But going to this AAU club team, there was people that were, you know, even better than what I was. I was like, oh, man, I just got to step up my game even more to get on their level and stuff. And we had some pretty freaky athletes and stuff. So it was pretty cool. And then just to travel around the country, seeing like Mike Krzyzewski and Roy Williams and stuff, you know, just right there front row uh, watching our games and stuff. That was pretty cool to see. So. Oh, that's cool, man. That's super cool. And I, I would like the athletes that are listening to this right now, if you if you rewind it a little bit and hear that. When you go outside, this is even as a coach, man. I I see it. And I'm like, 
Yeah, basketball outside of Idaho is a tad different sometimes. Not always. Like some people act like it's just major. Di- there's some people they breathe oxygen just like you and I do. But yeah, there's a lot of times too where you're like, oh, that dude's six foot three and mm-hmm. he moves like that. Um, yeah, you're five ten and you do not move like that. So like, you're, right. there's some things you're gonna have to change up. That's what I tell my guards. I'm like, that's a point guard. He's six three. Just understand right. that. Like, there's a difference, you know. So it's cool that you said that. Like, there is a little bit of dif- difference, but the the benefit to that, if you're the right type of mindset and the right type of athlete is that you can level up your game a little bit. You understand the importance. Right. Um, talk to me about that though, as a younger athlete, rewinding the clock still, you're in that mm-hmm. high school area, like knowing what it was going to take to get there. You're like, oh, okay, so I see the better competition. What were some of the applicable things that you were able to do to level up your game when you right. go on these tournaments? You're like, okay, I know what I need to do. So what were you, what did you do to do that? Right. So for me, I wasn't always the biggest guy because throughout my whole career, I've always played like, you know, power forward, center and all that stuff. And, you know, I was tall, but I wasn't girthy and big. And there's, I mean, there's dudes that are like 6'10", 7 feet and all that stuff. And here I am like 6'6", 6'7", or whatever, right? And uh, it's just outworking people. You know, people can have talent, but if they don't work hard, then the people that work hard have some talent, they can out, you know, they can pass them and stuff. And uh, something else too, on just on that AAU circuit, like, you know, everyone wants to get looked at and stuff. And you know, if your team is winning, you know, you're advancing in those rounds and stuff. And that's when the coaches are going, look, look at you. So if you're just about getting your stats and all that stuff, eventually, you know, player, you know, they're just gonna be like, Hey, you know, anyone can put the ball in the basket, but are you playing the right way? Or are you going to fit our system? So if you're, you know, playing hard, if you're, you know, just not taking a possession off and stuff, coaches see that. And if you're just hungry, if you just love basketball and you're playing all the time, I mean, that shines through too. So just outwork someone. They can be more talented than you, but you can outwork them and, you know, pretty much make people quit. So. Dude, I love it. I love it. So uh, you knew you were going to play. And, and like you said, I like that you mentioned this too. I'm taking notes while you're talking. I always encourage the listeners to do that. If you guys have a phone that you're listening to this on or whatever, take out the notepad and take notes. It's the whole point of these interviews to learn from our guests. So Jason, as you said, like you weren't always the biggest. Um, you're listed at six seven. I mean, that's pretty tall for our standards here. It's taller than the average, uh, you know, male figure in the United States or the world. Right. But, um, for the position that you played, you know, power forward and stuff, that's, that's an undersized forward. So when you, I want people to understand that, like, you know, listed at six, seven, six, eight on a good day, whatever you want to call it. But like, you have to outwork people. And, and what I always recognized about, like, even when I was young, I was in high school and stuff, when you were playing in at Boise state was like your ability to like body positioning. And just, even if you weren't getting rebounds, like you were at least making people work, like you make them work. And right. I, I just kind of want to talk about that. Like, what did you like, how were you making people work? Did you realize like that you had to get, you know, get rebounds if you're not going to be able to get the shot off all the time. And they're like, what was the things that you were able to do as an undersized quote unquote undersized forward? So for me, I always just took pride in defense. Like it goes back to even those AAU days. Like there was dudes that are, again, they're super talented offensively and stuff. And I had to tell myself like, Hey, you know, I can score too, but how else can I make the biggest impact on this team? And I kind of became my calling card. Like, Hey, I don't get tired very much. I hustle a lot. I can rebound and I love to defend. I love just, you know, shutting down, you know, the best offensive player and pride myself being able to guard, you know, positions one through five. So I'm like, okay, if I can do this, I for sure can get a scholarship and I can for sure stay on the floor because even if you're a talented offensive player, the ball's not always going to go in the hoop, but how else can you impact the game? So I was like, hey, I took that as like as a challenge, like, hey, I'm going to make people tired and I'm just going to keep out working on them. And there's nothing more deflating than someone playing defense, a shot goes up and you get an offensive rebound. So I just love seeing just defenses just deflate like, oh man, we got to guard some more or, you know, you get a tip in. So I was just like, I'm just going to work outwork people and just have them just quit. And then pretty much people just get tired and coaches recognize, you know, you're diving on the floor, you're blocking people that are seven feet tall, you're guarding a guard that's supposed to be super quick and you're staying in front. And they just love that, you know, taking charges. So yeah, just outworking people and you just love it. It's just something you just love is being gritty and dirty and, not everybody wants to do that, you know, it's, especially even today's game. I think it's more finesse, but if you can like really dig into people and make them work, people will give up, quit and, you know, maybe try to fight you too. So yeah, <laughs> no, it happens. And I'm, I'm glad you said that though. And I want the, the, the players that are like younger athletes, high school, middle school age around whoever's listening to understand what you just said right there. I have seen it with my own two eyes that if you bring a physical player, who's not scared to get a body on somebody, like just, make a little bit of contact within the rules of the game, not fouling them, 
but get mm-hmm. get big when someone's posting you up and don't be scared to like put your chest into them a little bit when they're going up there. Uh, I've seen players, Jason, from other states when we play in these tournaments who are super, super skilled, but when they do a Euro step or something, and all of a sudden they don't have the space there to do the Euro step. So then they mm-hmm. turn the ball over or they don't get the shot they wanted. They start to buckle. It's weird. Right. Mentally, they start to crumble because they're not getting as easy shots and they're working for everything they have to get. I've seen the physicality shift completely. Uh, it neutralizes the talent on the other side if they're not ready for it. So what you were just saying there, if you can outwork them and you get the right mindset, it takes, you got to work for that. Some people are born with it, but you still have to work with it. Like you can't right. just, and and if you do that, like you said, man, I can, I can tell you right now, like I've seen players completely buckle mentally from that. So man, it's just crazy. You said that because it's so true. A quick word from our sponsors. Discover the savings at DeLuca Insurance. Whether it's auto, home, motorcycle, or recreational vehicles, we've got your back, Idaho. And when it comes to life insurance, trust a local agent who cares about your best interests. Save today and protect your tomorrow with DeLuca Insurance. Call Kara Lee at 208-813-7273. Again, that's 208-813-7273. So going over to Boise State, uh, like, well, let's talk, let's just talk about the transition to like the decision, like going from high school, what was the recruiting process like? And how did you make your decision on where you were going to go? Right. I guess is what I should ask. So I, so I got my first letter when I was a sophomore. I remember it was like Colorado State or whatever. Like, I mean, this is awesome. This is really cool. And then actually, you know, you know, you go to these tournaments and we are, again, a really talented team. So we're winning a lot of games. We're going to, you know, like the Elite Eight, Final Four of these like big, Vegas big time tournaments and all this. And uh, yeah, we just started getting letters. And then just because you get a letter doesn't mean like a school is really recruiting you. They're saying, hey, we noticed you were interested in you. You know they're serious when they want to fly you out there, you know, a visit, you know, they offer you a scholarship. And for me, actually, Boise State was my first visit that I went on. And uh, my mom, she was always like, hey, you know, go on this visit, but you have, you know, a couple other visits that you need to go on. And I was like, yeah, you know, I know. I went there and I just love Boise State. I didn't know anything about Idaho, never been here or anything. I was like, you know, what's, what, what is Boise State? What is Idaho even, you know? So I go here, I'm like, this is a beautiful place. The arena was nice. They were moving to a new conference, which was the Western Athletic Conference, uh, the WAC. And uh, I was like, oh, you know, that's cool. I, I wouldn't mind going to Hawaii once a year and uh, just playing in a bigger conference. So I committed after my first visit um, my mom was like, you know, you sure you want to do that? And I was like, yeah, I do. And then the other, uh, schools that were recruiting me, uh, they called and they were pretty upset. They're like, you know, you should at least take your other visits and stuff. But, you know, I don't regret my decision. And, uh, yeah, it, it was a good career for me at Boise State. Heck yeah, man. So as you got into to Boise State, were there any like, like, I guess, uh, I wouldn't say shell shocked is the word, but was there anything that kind of like opened your eyes? Like, whoa, college is a little bit different, whether it's the academics or the athletics or anything. What was the biggest transition? I guess is my question. Uh, so the biggest transition, um, I guess would say on the court is just how physical, uh, the guys were and stuff. You know, I thought I was physical in high school, but those guys are you know three or four years older than I am. And the pace of the game is a little quicker. So it's just like, how do you adapt? Like I was able to start, um, my first couple games as a true freshman, which was really cool, but I kept getting into foul trouble. So it's just, I had to learn how to be able to be physical, but stay on the court. So I think middle of the season itself, I started coming off the bench because I was always in foul trouble. But um, yeah, it was just learning just the physicality of the game, you know, just the speed of the game was a little quicker. But yeah, as you climb each rank, it gets more physical, but also gets more mental. You know, you have to be mentally prepared. It comes goes to watching film. We didn't really do much of that in high school and just kind of trying to find your opponent's weaknesses. And uh, yeah, just kind of just going from there. Uh, School-wise, it was just being able to travel and then also get your school, you know, done on time and stuff. And I think my academic advisor had me my freshman year, very first time, he had me doing like 18 credits and stuff. And I have to say that was a disaster, 18 credits and then also traveling and stuff. I was like, I'm sinking here, you know, I need some help. So, yeah, I don't. I wouldn't recommend taking 18 credits and uh, playing basketball or any sport full time. So, yeah, dude, that's uh, that's hard. Uh, I know it's a full slate, but like people don't realize how strenuous college can be. Sometimes for somebody, even myself, when I first my first semester, I think I was only taking 12 credits, and I was not playing basketball. And I just remember being like, man, like it's a little bit more with the homework sometimes. Like the homework's gonna take a little bit longer than what I did in high school because I can't just you know get through. So. There's a lot there. So that's crazy. Um, 
but you mentioned something about the mental side of it and just mm -hmm. uh, coming in there prepared, watching film. If you could give some advice to the the high school athletes that are you know getting ready for their college game, maybe in a year or two, uh, is there something that they can do to prepare for that? If they're not like maybe they're not currently required to watch a ton of film or study film because it's right. high school, but is there something you would recommend that they do on their off time to like try to prepare for that or just wait until they get in there and baptism by fire kind of thing? Uh, kind of baptism by fire. Cause again, you don't know who you're playing. You don't know who your opponent's going to be, but I would say like hit the weight room. That's something that I started doing. You know, I got an introductory weight room class when I was in high school and I didn't, you know, I lifted, you know, just ca casually or whatever in high school, but I really developed a love for lifting weights in college and I would say it makes a world of a difference uh, when you're on the court and uh, just your performance. So if you're not in the weight room now or you're just kind of casually doing it, I would say, you know, especially if you're about to go to uh, college, really hit that weight room hard. And uh, it'll actually give you a leg up going in so you can kind of um, be ready for that physicality, especially the guys that are already on the team and stuff. So. So I tell my players that about the importance of the weight room. But for somebody like yourself who's been there at, at a high, high level, have mm -hmm. you what specifically does that help with? They, they always hear it. They're like, oh, I hit the weight room, whatever. But they don't mm -hmm. realize, I don't think they realize it, like what it actually does. Like, well, can you speak to specifics? Like, how did the weight room help you? Was it jumping? Was it rebounding? Was it hitting somebody and not falling over? Like, what right. was it? So it was a little bit of all that stuff. Like me, again, I wasn't the highest jumper. So it's just about positioning. So when you're lifting weights and you're just solid, no matter if the guy's big or whatever, you have leverage. Like people try to push you and you don't move. And they're the ones that are falling on the ground. You can just grab a rebound. That's pretty awesome. When you set a screen and the person running to your screen just crumbles to the floor, that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, just being able to just uh, just be physical, you know, where guys don't want to tangle with you because you're just so physical. Um, that's, the, that's the awesomest thing. And, um, yeah, you're, for rebounding, again, I'm not the biggest jumper or anything, but be able to hold position, push bigger guys out of there and uh, get that rebound. There's, there's nothing like being able to finish through contact. Um, yeah, it's just awesome. And then once you start lifting, you know, you know obviously your body changes and uh, yeah, it, it looks good. You look good in the mirror. You look good when you're walking around. So <laughs> look good, feel good, play good, right? Exactly. Prime time, baby. Let's go. Um, that's awesome. I <laughs> do just nonchalantly say, yeah, you set a screen, they crumble. That's it's awesome. Like, <laughs> I love it. So when you were at Boise State, do you have a favorite memory, Jason, of like a favorite game or a favorite practice or any kind of experience during your time at Boise State? Uh, favorite time? I, I would say my junior year. I just enjoyed that whole season. Uh, we just missed the NCAA tournament. We would have been the third out of, yeah, the third team out of uh, uh, the Western Athletic Conference. We had two other teams, Nevada and UTEP, were really good. But uh, just the crowd uh, support that whole year. We were a good team and uh, we did really well and just, you know, packing out the pavilion and stuff. I thought that was pretty cool. And um, yeah, that's something I'll always remember. And one of my, I wouldn't say least favorite memories, my freshman year, uh, Rod Jensen was my coach and we'd have 6 a.m. workouts for like an hour and a half without ever touching a basketball. It was all defensive drills and stuff. And I would just be like, what did I get myself into? But it was, uh, it made me mentally stronger and uh, we were a pretty good defensive team. So. Oh man, I've heard stories. That's, that's, uh, that's cool though. Who was a teammate that stands out to you? Like that was a influential teammate for you throughout your college career. And what did they teach you? I should say. Uh, I would say, uh, Kobe Carl was one, he's, he's a good friend of mine and he came in uh, a year after I did, but he was, uh, someone that you could not only just pick his brain with basketball off the court too. He's just a good dude. And, uh, I just really enjoyed playing with him just the way he played the game. And uh, just made the game easier for everybody else. So I'll say, yeah, Kobe was, that's my guy. What about a coach? Was there, there was a coach or an assistant or anybody that kind of helped you as a mentor or anybody for that nature in, in college? Uh, I would say uh, Coach Graham. He was a pretty, he was a, he was a good coach. I just, I liked his philosophy a lot. He was uh, pretty open with us, like uh, offensively. He was pretty free flowing. So he kind of let us be ourselves and kind of, uh, do what we wanted, and uh, that was pretty cool. Just to be able to play and not have to, you know, look over your shoulder if you made a mistake, if you're gonna get pulled or whatnot. So, I enjoyed playing for him. That's cool. The two names you mentioned, I've had them on my show. That's that's funny. Out of all the people, so that's <laughs> that's pretty crazy. So, you know, a lot of people, you know, not a lot of people, I should say, can make it to the college game, especially the Division One level. But then even a fewer amount of people, I should say make it to a professional level of any kind, whether it's overseas, G League, whatever you want to call it, even especially right. the NBA. 
you were one of the few who actually has experience playing at the professional level after yeah. after college. So the same question I asked you, Jason, about your high school career, at what point did you know you could play at the next level? What point in college did you say, hey, man, like I actually can play at the next level and get paid to do this? Right. Uh, I'd probably say my junior year. Like, again, I could rebound. I could defend and stuff. But my offensive game wasn't very polished. But uh, my sophomore summer, going into my junior year, I really worked on my offensive game and stuff. And I really came in confidently and, um, you know, started putting up some pretty decent numbers for uh, playing offensively. I was like, hey, I might be able to play at the next level and stuff. And I still really enjoyed playing ball. And uh, my senior year, I got even better offensively. And I was like, hey, I probably could do something after college. And, uh, yeah, I was blessed that I was able to. So when you say you went to like you put in some time to kind of polish up the offensive game, what were you doing in your workouts to kind of help you with that? Because then you mentioned confidence, which I always tell the players like my biggest strength, Jason, was always shooting. Like I was always a really good shooter and I could play defense in the post, especially for being six two. like I take pride in my strength and stuff. But there's mm -hmm. a lot of limits to my game, too, that can be exposed. I'm not the fastest. I can't jump the highest. I could barely dunk a ball. Right. Like I wasn't like the most athletic guy on the court. But right. I remember telling like I tell them like my confidence in shooting was what actually helped. Like I was always putting in time. I mean, I was getting three to 500 shots up a day. Mm -hmm. And so I was confident when I was shooting and that changed the whole thing for me. Cause in a game, even if I missed, I always thought every shot was going in. Like every right. shot had a, had the chance of going in to me. So what were you doing in your practices and your training to build that confidence that you said you had after your sophomore year? Right. Just like you said, just putting in the work, you know, just doing on things that I knew that I struggled with my freshman and sophomore year, just like, okay, Hey, I may not be good at this now, but if I do enough reps every day, it's only going to get better. And it did. And then, you know, you do stuff enough. You don't even think about it when you're on the court. It just comes to you. Just it's just reaction. Instead of thinking about it, you just do. So I was just putting in work and uh, putting in long hours and like, hey, when you put in a lot of work, you're going to succeed because you're like no one else is working as hard as I am. So if you put in that work, you, you have no choice but to succeed because eventually whatever you do, it's going to work out for you. That's awesome, man. Did you ever experience any injuries throughout your college career? I did. So I had, uh, in college, I had two sports hernias. So Ooh. yeah, that came from, it happened my freshman year and my senior year. And, uh, those came probably from the weight room, just lifting too much weight and, uh, yeah, just grinding a little too hard. So I should listen to my body a little bit. So, but you get competitive in there in the weight room, you want to be one of the stronger guys and, uh, yeah, I just threw up a little bit too much weight, I think, and strained, strained something. And then when I was playing for the Stampede, I blew out my uh, my right knee, my ACL, MCL. Oh, okay. So the sports hernias, did those require surgery? They did, yeah. Both of them did. Um, so freshman year, uh, surgery happened after the season. And then senior year, it happened uh, probably the first week of December. And then since oh. I experienced it before, I was able to get back on the court in like three weeks. So I, I knew what it took to, to get back. So I was able to come back and do that. So so mentally, I, I'll have a question for you there too. For any athletes who have experienced an injury of any kind and yours was surgically repaired, mentally, sometimes I can mess people up a little bit. They don't psychologically have the same mentality when they come back because they play a little hesitant. Sometimes they're, right. they're a little bit nervous of like, will I re-aggravate it? I guess, do you have any advice for those those athletes that might be going through something like that? Yeah, I mean, that's normal to have. Like, for me, I knew when I first came back, I wasn't worried about re-aggravating it. But I was just like, hey, you know, I'm not moving like I used to. And it takes time. So I remember, like, my senior year uh, after my surgery, um, I was out for three weeks. I don't think I didn't come back till probably, like, the end of January or whatever. And our record was terrible. I don't think we even had a winning record. But the more that I played, we started uh, gelling a little bit more. And I remember we went to the Western Athletic, you know, conference championship not even championship we went to the tournament i think we were like 11th out of 12 teams or whatever but we made an awesome run to uh the championship game we we're playing on espn to go to the ncaa tournament so you know your body will get better it'll start responding you just got to trust the process and yeah listen to your body and just kind of just slowly get back into it and uh, just know if you put in the work for rehab we'll be all right oh, i love that i love that uh going into the professional level what was the post-college pre-professional level like were you going to camps were you going to like what were you doing to even get tryouts at these locations how did you get a hold of a scout those are the little things in that transitional phase that i guess some people don't realize because you see a lot of the you know high level athletes lebron james those guys that like they already know where they're going but 
some of these guys can still play professionally like yourself, but they don't really understand the transitional phase between college and professional before that actually starts. So do you mind like sharing some experiences there? So that's where I saw like the business side of sports, you know, really come in. Like there's a lot of politics, you know, involved and again, business, you know, a lot of big money and stuff. And uh, the first thing is after I was done playing and stuff, I was like, okay, you know, I had a pretty good college career, you know, what next? And uh, I needed to get an agent. So there was an agent that one of my other teammates had and I was able to hop on with them and uh, they got me to uh, summer league, NBA summer league. And I remember playing uh, with the Denver Nuggets for the summer league and, uh, I did that. I was able to do that multiple years uh, throughout my professional career, go to these summer leagues. And um, this is where the business side comes in. You could be uh, just as good or even better than some of the people they even, you know, say they draft or whatever, or that they bring in. But if, you know, if a team owes an agent a favor or if he's a highly drafted, you know, player, they're going to play, you know, and you're just relegated to, you know, kind of clean up time or sitting on the bench or whatever. You don't, always get a chance to show what you can do, but you understand that's just the business side of it. And, uh, you know, the more exposure exposure you can get, um, the better, but you have an agent, your agent, um, finds teams for you, you know, overseas, uh, the places that I went to play, I had never been to, you know, out of the country, didn't know what the town was or anything. And, uh, the first, uh, place that I played was in Switzerland. And I remember flying over, I was married, I'm married and I had my son, uh, I had them, they stayed here in Idaho and I went to, uh, to this, uh, town just to te- test it out, see how it was and stuff. And, um, a couple months I was like, Hey, you know, I know I'm on the team. It seems really solid. And they came back over for Christmas and they had a good time. And that's just kind of how it went. You just, you don't know what you're getting into. Um, and you just go over there and, uh, just a leap of faith and you just kind of believe in your game and kind of just go from there. Um, when you're an American playing in Europe, you're expected to be the man. So that means you need to be the one putting up the numbers. Your team needs to be winning. Um, if your team's not winning, then you're going to be the first person to go and they'll bring in some other Americans and stuff. But I was blessed enough to be able to be on some really awesome teams, won a couple championships and uh, we always won and uh, I was able to do really well. So it was a really good experience for me and my family at all the places I went to. Now that's cool, man. It's cool to hear that. I uh, It is disheartening in a sense as an athlete, cause you, you're, you know, you're, you're told and not, and let me preface this with this. So you're told your whole life, like the internet connection keeps going down. There we go. So you're told to outwork people. Like you can outwork people, outwork people, outwork people. So everyone's working hard and that works through like AAU high school and then the college. But then like, when you get to the professional level, there is a business side of it. Right. So you could be outworking everybody, but that doesn't always mean you're going to get something, which is kind of disheartening. That's what I meant by that. But if you can navigate the the political side of it, the business side of it, you can still find some good opportunities for yourself. So when you went overseas, mm-hmm. a question that I have is like, you know, I've talked to a lot of guys on the show over the last seven years that have, have played professionally of any kind of sport in different countries and stuff, but it's always mm-hmm. different. Each one's experience. But I want to ask you for basketball, was the game different for you or was it just basketball? Because like, dude, overseas basketball, you think that you're just gonna go over there and dominate. Even Kobe Carl told me, like that he thought he was going to do the same thing and it just yeah. wasn't the case cuz sometimes it's a little bit harder just based on the team and the personnel yeah. and the the style of yeah. play so what was it like for you right so you're only allowed a certain amount of americans you know on each team uh different rules it's like fiba rules i don't know if you watch you know fiba basketball and all that stuff so it's different it's like a trapezoid key and a whole bunch of different rules and you don't know who your teammates are and uh yeah no it's it's completely different they do different things for like uh personal training and uh, recovery and all that stuff. Like one of the teams I was on, they didn't, they didn't do ice. I mean, what do you mean you don't do ice? You know, like, what do you, what do you mean? That's like the main thing for inflammation and swelling and all that. And, uh, no, it was different, but I will say, I think the European fans are way more passionate than the fans here in America. Like, even though the arenas aren't as big, there may be like five or 6,000 people in the arena, but they have horns, they're chanting, they have flares in the stands and all that stuff and there's just like a lot of pride for that town and which was really awesome to see i was like man this is really loud in here horns and drums and people are chanting and not sitting down i was like this is awesome and the talent like people can play like the european players you know as we all know they're, they're super talented and they're skilled so yeah it was it was definitely challenging it was fun so that's so cool man like one of the other things is, is like people talk about pay pays different for everybody, depending on their right. contracts. I guess that's one of the things 
to to my understanding is that like it's a little different than playing professionally here like with it's not like structured pay band pay scales like some people get paid differently at different times and so forth but i mean the other i guess to the the plus side of that to my understanding maybe you can correct me if i'm wrong is that if you're going over there like if you make let's just say you make fifty thousand dollars like let's just say that for throw a number out there right you're getting paid 50 grand to play for a couple of months over here for this team that that 50,000 is really like 50,000. It's not like 50,000 in the United States. It's actually like 30,000 because you get taxed to this and this and this. But right. over there you're getting like normally you get your housing and your phone and your car or whatever paid for. Is that true? Yeah. So it just depends on what your contract is and stuff. And I'll just say there's just so many leagues in Europe. Like say if you're able to play professionally, say you go to like a lower league, there's like, you know, B divisions or C divisions and you know, I think almost any country you may not be get paid very much, but you can work your way up. You know, if you have a good season, then if you have like a good agent, you send your tape to other teams and you can work your way up to a pretty, you know, decent paying uh, league, you know, whatever country that is. But yeah, it just depends on what your contract is. Like uh, one of my contracts is like, hey, you know, you paying for my plane tickets and my family's plane tickets. We had all of our health insurance paid for, apartment, car. The only thing we had to pay for was uh groceries and gas that's all you had to pay for so i mean they take good care of you. it just depends what you negotiate in your contract and if that team comes through i've heard horror stories of guys that sign lucrative contracts and they don't get paid maybe because they're not winning the club folds and you're just you know stuck in a country with no money so that's you know those are nightmare stories and stuff for the most part yeah depending on how good you are and what you negotiate you know you get what you get and uh, for me, I was blessed to be able to pay, get paid in euros. So, and the euro was a, stronger than the dollar. So, you know, we just open up our bank account. You know, you get paid. We just keep it in there. We look at the currency rate and like, hey, this is you know significantly higher. We'll send it home, and you just send it home. So, it was pretty. It was pretty sweet. That's awesome, man. No, that's cool. It's cool to hear like the the ins and outs of that type of stuff. People don't really talk about it enough that I think, and I think it's good to bring awareness. There's goods and bads depending on how you structure your contract, but I think that's also it speaks to you in your character of understanding how to structure that as well as your agent. Uh, I think that's another important piece who you're working with to negotiate those things with the clubs is a huge piece to that, right? Like right. you've got to be able to structure that yourself or else you'll get caught in some bad spots. Right. So you need a good agent because you're not talking to these clubs. You know, he's the one that has the connections and all that stuff. So if you don't have a good agent, you can be as good as you want, but if you don't have a good agent that's going to work for you, then I mean, you're not going to be getting very good jobs or a job at all. So yeah, that's that's good to know. Yo, Jason, what was what was your favorite? I mean, you talked about a couple different championships, and you talked about mm -hmm. the atmosphere. What's your favorite memory of playing overseas, man? Uh, so playing in, uh, I played in Holland, and I was actually able to play with Matt Bowsher. So we played oh, together. Sick. Yeah, we played together for two years, and uh, it was just cool reuniting with him because he was uh, he registered when I was a senior at Boise State, and then we won a championship um, in Holland, and that was pretty awesome. Just seeing the atmosphere and. I was able to have my son there on the court. He was a ball boy. And uh, it was just awesome. It was a really, it was a tightly knit group. And uh, it was really cool that we were able to finish the deal and uh, bring a championship to that city. Yo, that's cool. You got to reunite with Matt. I didn't realize that either. Holy cow. Yeah. That's, uh, dude, that, that comes kind of full circle in that regard. Do you have a, a teammate um, that you learned a lot from in, in your overseas experience? The same question I had about the college game. I kind of right. curious the professional level. Um, I would just say just all the, uh, just, you know, the Americans and for my, uh, foreign teammates and stuff too, just learning the culture. Cause you know, if you're like playing in Holland, we had like four or five dudes that were from Holland, you know, just trying to just really pick up the culture and, you know, like, what is it about? What are things you should and shouldn't do? And, uh, you know, just really just embracing, um, you know, their heritage and all that stuff. And that was, that was really cool. They were really, um, really good at, uh, you know, introducing us and integrating us in their culture. And then just for the Americans and stuff, like we're not going home for all the holidays and stuff. So we're spending Christmas and Thanksgiving. And um, again, I had my, one of my oldest son was over there. So they, we did Halloween there. So he got a costume and he'd knock on the Americans doors and they'd have candy for him. He'd trick or treat and stuff. And um, yeah, we were just a tight knit family and uh, we were always just looking out for each other. So I just took something from everybody. Oh, there you are. Sorry. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Cool. It just like disconnected you real quick and popped you back in. So that happens. Cool. Cool. Um, so moving forward, uh, the Idaho stampede, this is another thing. So I, I love hearing the stories of the overseas stuff, but the Idaho stampede, for those who don't know, 
that used to be the D League or G League as we know yeah. it now. It was the the team here in Idaho. I think they were affiliated with the Jazz and the Blazers at some point. Like I mean, they switched. Oh, but well, yeah, we had like five or six affiliates. So yeah, so- it was it was going back and forth through a lot of teams. But I actually like as a fan and as a former player of just I love being around the game. I love those games. I like I love going to to Stampede games and and being there. I mean, they didn't get a ton of fanfare. Uh, right. It wasn't like crazy well received for some weird reason mm-hmm. and i didn't understand why like the, the hardcore fans would be there because we understood like dude look these guys can ball yeah. but um it seems super cool so i want to know like your experience in the d league with the with the stampede because you got to compete for a championship and stuff and you got to yeah. be part of some really good squads i mean birdo was back with them and stuff yeah. so some local legends and some stuff like that so i'm curious talk about your experience with the stampede minus the injury you talked about blowing right. your knee out which sucks that's part of it, I'm sure. Yeah. So, I mean, that was probably some of the best competition for me in my playing career was right there in the D League. That's what it's called, developmental league. And uh, just from the business side of it, like, you have your superstars like LeBron James and Kevin Durant and all that stuff. I'd say just say anything about your starting five in the NBA. I would say anyone in the G League from six all the way through to the end of the bench could have made an NBA roster. That's how talented uh, those guys are. But, again, it's, it's a business and – you know, depending on what favors and stuff are owed or, you know, you want to look at this guy, then, you know, guys didn't make it or whatnot. But for that, I would say, yeah, the competition was awesome. Uh, The travel was brutal. I mean, you're playing in like some towns that like the Dakotas and all that stuff, like, where are we going? You play a game and you're busting it to another Dakota. You're like, you know, this is the worst travel ever. But besides the travel and stuff, it was, it was, it was a good experience. And, um, yeah, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Winning that championship, being able to play with Birdo and like Randy Livingston, that dude was ridiculous. He's probably the best, not probably, he is the best point guard that I ever played with. He was just like, hey, during a timeout, he's like, you stand right here and you're going to get a layup. And then we go out on the court and I stood right where he told me to, wide open layup. So, um, no, it was, it was good. A lot of good talent. And um, one of the coolest things is guys that got drafted if for some reason they weren't playing or just coming back from injury, then they would get uh, assigned to the D league. So we were able to have like CJ McCollum. I don't know. He like broke his hand or something, but he was able to come and we were able to play with him for a little bit. And uh, there's a couple other guys like Josh McRoberts and some other NBA guys and stuff. So it was pretty fun, especially going against them in practice. Like, all right, you're in the league. Let's see, should I be in the league too? And you know, you do well. I, like, I should be in the league too. So it was pretty good. Dude, McRoberts, it's funny you're mentioning these names because I, I remember some stents. Like I remember these things. It's it's crazy. Um wow, like it's it's cool to me to to hear your experience in the G League or the D League at the time. But um this was the question that I brought up about five years ago on this show. Like they've made some changes to the D League now as far as like pay structure and then the mm. age limits and such, because we it, it just felt like a lot of athletes were like, Hey dude, I'm just going to go overseas, play five years, make 60, 70 K a year, play a couple months a year and and just bank in. Some of them will make more, some make less, whatever. But like, you know, they're just going to go over there, do that because for a long time, the G league, like the average salary was less than somebody who would work at McDonald's and you're still putting in the time. You're still putting in the time and having to play at a high level and with no guarantees, because like you said, the business side, do you feel like they've made the right strides of changing the pay structure. So it's a little bit more enticing to keep our players stateside. Yeah, I think so for sure. I mean, like for myself, um, it helped that the uh, Stampede were right here in Idaho and, you know, you do it to try to get that call up, you know, cause there are scouts in the stands every game and you're like, Hey, you know, maybe this might be the year that I get a call up and, you know, a call up, you're kind of like rolling the dice and you're betting on yourself when you're doing the D league, you know, back then. Like, hey, I can get a call up and that'll make up for whatever, you know, whatever your salary is for the D League. But I think it's really good that they are paying players more because they deserve to be paid more. And um, it's nice to be able to stay home and not go overseas, you know, especially if you're trying to get that call up. But if it's not going to work for you and if you only have limited years and you're not going to get called the NBA, then, yeah, you should go overseas and make as much as you can while you can. So, Yeah, totally, man. Who was the best player that you played against that you had to defend uh, when you were in the D League, just so you like, just for reference, because you mentioned some of the the talent was the best talent you played in your professional career. Right, the best player. I don't know. I have to think about that one. <laughs> yeah, I got to think about that one. Who's the best player? They had uh, Darvin Ham. You remember that guy? Oh that yeah. Guy? So yeah, he was good. And they had also they had um, 
what is his name? He played for the Spurs for a while. I can't remember what his name is right now. But he was he was a young guy back then. Um, I can't think of his name right now. But he's still I think he's still in the league today. So, but we beat them for the championship, and I got to guard him quite a bit. So, so cool, dude. Hey, so one of the things I've told my players too, like at every level of basketball, is funny, man. Like the short, the the court shrinks. It seems like because everyone's like bigger and longer. Like it yeah. almost feels like the court shrinks. Did you feel that way in the D league? Like everyone's like everyone's a Jason Ellis. They're all six seven. It feels like, and they're right. all like an eight foot wingspan. Like, did that feel that way to you at all? As you got in the higher levels of basketball, not really, because you know the courts are actually bigger. It's bigger. Yeah. Than, you know, so you're actually spread out more, and you know, hopefully, when you're playing at that level, you understand spacing a little better. You know, right? So. Um, no, I didn't. I feel like there was a lot more room to roam the three point lines further out. And again, it's the court's bigger. So, uh, no, there's a lot of space and, you know, just make sure you're just following, you know, following those plays and there's more than enough room to roam. No, that's cool. You said, okay. So like, just so everybody knows, like, I know that the court is bigger. I just was saying from a visible standpoint, like everyone's longer. So it almost looks like the court shrinks, Yeah, but you're right. Like like literally it is a bigger court and the, the rules are a little different with the, the three point line. So you have more spacing, but when we watched the junior college showcase in Arizona, this, this last spring, uh-huh. we went from watching my guys play. And then we went over and watched and like three courts down, they had the junior college showcase going on. Dude, these dudes are like 22, 23 years old. You know, they're bounce backs trying to get into a D one scholarship. A couple guys from last chance you were there playing. Yeah. And I was like, Oh dude, like <laughs> this court looks a lot smaller with these guys running up and down it. Cause they're like all six foot four, five, six, seven, like, running down the floor and, but they do understand spacing more. So I think your whole point there as well as just understand, like as you get older and you get better IQ, everybody understands spacing. So it doesn't actually shrink the court. Right. Um, what, uh, what, when did you know it was time to hang them up, Jason? This is a question for athletes that might be playing right now. Uh, yeah. when did you know it was time? Uh, I would say probably definitely after I tore my knee, I was like, Oh, I don't want to go out like that. So, um, I was like, you know, I want to come back another year. But I just started thinking about the last couple of years of my career. I was like, all right, what's the transition? Because I can't do this forever. You know, I'm getting older. The older you get, you know, that's frowned upon in the NBA. So I'm like, okay, that window or that door is shut, you know, or, you know, it's rapidly closing. So I was like, okay, I need to start thinking about what I want to do after I'm done playing. So probably the last two or three years, especially after I tore up my knee, I was like, I need to start thinking about a transition plan. So. And speaking of that transition plan, that's a big part for athletes as they try to transition to regular life, right? Like after sports. So what was that like for you? Did you have any struggles there or were you preparing for that beforehand? So it was an easier transition. Um, No, I think it was an easier transition because I think it was especially like the last two years of my career. I still really enjoyed playing basketball, but I love being in the weight room more. I was like, man, I really, when do we get to go work out? You know? So I was like, it's probably, you know, about time, especially travel and especially doing the D league. It's, it's a lot harder on the family and, you know, being away. And uh, for myself, I, I enjoy playing basketball, but I didn't, I don't identify as just a basketball player. I have more going on in my life than just playing basketball, you know, I a wife and two kids at the time. Now I have three. And I was like, you know, there's so much more to look forward to. So I enjoyed it, but I was like, I'm ready. I'm ready to walk away and do some other things. So. So you were ready at that point. Well, yeah. At this uh, at this point of the interview, as we wrap it up, Jason, I just kind of want to know, like, if you could say, like, what was the biggest life lesson that basketball taught you then when you, you know, going through all of your career and the ups and downs, everything in between, playing professionally, mm-hmm. having some good experiences, uh, what was the biggest life lesson that you took away from it? Um, just like if you work hard, especially in basketball, like it opened up so many doors for me. It took me to so many places I never thought. I never thought I'd go to Europe and travel to, I don't even know how many countries I've been to, but um, just the doors and the people that I've met and uh, the connections I've made, like basketball has been really good to me, me and my family. And again, there's ups and downs and stuff, but I wouldn't trade uh, those experiences for anything. And um, even the career that I do now is like, man, this is an awesome job. But uh, again, I wouldn't give up playing, being able to play nine or 10 years professionally. So cool. Cool. Do you mind me asking what you're doing currently? So that the, yeah, the- no. so I work for the, I'm a firefighter for the Boise fire department. So I've been doing that for four years now. And uh, I just love helping people. I got a good crew and it's just like playing sports. You know, you're on a team and, um, you know, we're working together, just trying to make people's worst day a little bit better. Uh, you're able to work out and uh, spend a lot of time with my family. So it's, it's an awesome gig. Super cool, man. Firefighter. You go from a basketball player to a firefighter. I got to give a shout out to the Boise Fire Department. The other day I was at a half marathon. I, I ended up at the hospital at the end of my race. Uh, 
yeah, massive issue with my whole entire body shutting off at the end of the race. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, shout out to the Boise Fire Department. Maybe I'll have to ask you if you can get me in touch with. I don't know who they were, but like yeah. the were you, by, were you by Barber Park? I was at I was at um, Sandy Point uh, at Lucky Peak, and okay. so. They called, they had the, the EMTs got me in their truck, but they had to call. Obviously, the paramedics had to come and get me, and the fire mm -hmm. department was there first. I just, I remember what the dudes looked like one of the dudes, especially, but like I didn't know anybody's names because I was like completely, my body was shutting down. Anyway, they right. got, they, they helped take care of me, and there's a couple things that I wanted to actually reach out. So maybe I'll reach out and see if there's a way I can get a hold of them. I don't know. Yeah, sure. I, actually, that's funny you say that because uh, I just got off shift today and I'm at station 15, which is kind of like park center area. And they said they were working a marathon. They said a couple guys passed out and stuff. So they, I'm sure they went on you. So it was probably my that guys. Was, <laughs> that was me. There's one other and there was me. The other one had to, yeah, had a, it was, his was a little bit worse, but mine was pretty bad too. So yeah, that's me. Uh, well, I just got to get a hold of those guys. So that's kind of crazy coincidence that that's even the case here. So yeah. Um, Jason, is there anything like, I mean, I'm sure like fire department, you probably don't have anyone following you, but is, is there any like, shout outs to anybody or any, any social media that we can follow you on or anything of that nature? Or is it kind of more to say I'm a private guy. We're doing our own thing. Yeah, I'm pretty, yeah. I don't have any social media or anything. I'm just, you know, chill, just raise the family, work out and, uh, just do, do uh, firefighting. So that's about it. <laughs> no, you the man, dude. That's what I like about it is like, I just respect the heck out of you, dude. Uh, you're all also still in great shape to be a firefighter. I think it's awesome. You've taken that passion and that drive to, to stay in good physical condition. So props to you, man. And, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for taking the time out of your, your schedule to chat with me on the show and being part of this, this platform. And I'm looking forward for the, the listeners to be able to hear it. And I hope, uh, yeah, I hope the listeners go back and rewind some of these things and take notes of what Jason said and, and listen to his story. It's super inspirational. And, you know, uh, for those who are listening, Hey, um, hit the subscribe button because we'll be coming to you every week with a new interview, but I hope you guys enjoyed this one and, uh, we'll talk to you next time. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.